at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. So I want to try to prepare the soil of our hearts for Pentecost Sunday. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues, with other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. My objective, my objective today is to show by the Scriptures that speaking in tongues is the universal initial evidence of receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's my mission today. God bless you. Please be seated. <clears throat> the initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost happened in a place where disciples were unified and waiting for what Jesus called the promise of the Father. It was the Feast of Pentecost, an Old Testament Jewish feast. Thousands and thousands of people were gathered in Jerusalem, but 120 or so believers were gathered in an upper room for days and days of prayer and waiting on what Jesus promised would come, that they would be endued or filled with power on high, from on high. He said, do not leave Jerusalem. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So they are waiting, Acts 2 and 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, <clears throat> this feast that lasted several days culminated in the day of Pentecost. But implied here is something even greater than what God had in mind from the very institution of Pentecost hundreds of years before had now fully come and what God had planned had finally been realized with the outpouring of the Spirit. They were all with one accord. There for the same purpose, and they were all in the same place. On the day of Pentecost, there is some amazing manifestation, both corporate and individual. Verse 2 says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. We did not know that it felt like a wind, but it sounded like a rushing, mighty wind. It was not a gentle breeze wafting over the upper room. It was a rushing, mighty wind. When the Bible speaks of the Spirit, it is a dynamic, powerful experience. It is like rivers of water. It comes out of your belly like rivers of living water. It is like this powerful wind, a rushing mighty wind. In the Bible, the word spirit finds its origin in the Greek pneuma in the New Testament. It means wind or breath. God breathed into Adam the breath of life, and he became a living soul. And when God baptizes someone with the Holy Spirit, he breathes into them the power of eternal life. Amen. It is the Spirit of God that gives that power in our lives. So 
There is a wind, amen. Verse 3. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. The wind fills the room. The tongues of fire are over each individual believer. About 120 tongues of fire above each of them. That this is a personal experience. It's not enough to be in the room where the Spirit is moving. You need to let it be individual to you. Amen? The fire is over them. Verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. and began to speak with other tongues, other languages. As the Spirit gave them utterance, it was the Spirit of God that spoke the worlds into existence that empowered those believers to speak in a language they never learned. They were languages. They didn't learn the language. No one gave them certain phrases to repeat, so they would speak in other tongues. It was the Spirit of God, amen, that caused them to speak with other tongues. The Spirit gave them the utterance or the ability to speak. Now, the wind did not occur again that we know of. The tongues of fire seemed to go away. I'm not saying it never happened again in human history, but those were one-time occurrences. But speaking in tongues was the universal initial sign of receiving the Holy Ghost. And it was repeated consistently with every person since the day of Pentecost who has ever been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Speaking in tongues is the universal initial sign of being filled with the Spirit. And I may say, Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, I refer to the same thing. The Spirit of Jesus Christ that fills a person for the very first time and stays in that person. Amen. The Bible said it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. When you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, it is Jesus Christ coming on the inside of you, changing you forever. Amen. I mentioned the speaking was not learned. As someone would learn a foreign language. It was not manufactured. It was not ecstatic speech where someone just started blurting or blabbering out, sounding like a toddler who had not yet learned to talk or a baby. These approximate 120 people were speaking in bona fide, legitimate languages that could be understood by other people from those regions. And this was happening on the day of Pentecost. Now, when the Holy Ghost was poured out, it was before 9 o'clock in the morning. It's the Feast of Pentecost. There are thousands of people in the city of Jerusalem. They've come from all over the world. This was noised abroad. They heard about this. So a big crowd gathered, and they start trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And we'll get into that just a little bit. But I want to explain to you that the Bible teaches clearly that you must have the Spirit of God in you to be saved. You must have the Holy Ghost to be saved. So let's go to Romans 8 and 9. Romans 8 and 9. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. No Christian anywhere would tell you that you do not need the Holy Spirit living in you to be saved. That's not the question. 
The question is, how do you know that you have the Spirit? How do you receive the Spirit? What happens when you do? Amen. How do you know that you have the Holy Ghost? You need to know, and you must receive it to be saved. Do you receive the Holy Ghost when you just repent of your sins? Well, according to the Bible, no. Repentance is your first step toward God. Do people receive the gift of the Holy Spirit automatically when they accept Christ as their personal Savior? Not according to the Bible. In many churches, the phraseology, accepting Christ as your personal Savior, is widely used. Honestly, it is not a biblical phrase. You do not find that in the Bible. There are many, many people who have sincerely done what they were told, and they accepted Christ as their personal Savior. You would say that they repented, hopefully, turned from their sins, and they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is one thing for you to accept him. It is another thing for him to accept you. You see, he sends his spirit, and we cry, Abba, Father. When we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, we know that he has accepted us not just that we have accepted him. Now, I'm not criticizing anyone's sincere faith. I am sincerely telling you what the Bible says, that to go to heaven, you must be born again of water and of the Spirit. And water birth is baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're ready to baptize you today. And we've already baptized people this morning in our first service. So we're ready. The water's clean and warm. Baptistry team is ready. Changing rooms are there. Baptismal garments. All we need is your yes. Amen. How do you know? Do you automatically receive the Holy Ghost when you've been baptized in water? Well, the Bible does not teach that that is true. It is being born of the water and of the Spirit. Water and spirit baptism are both essential to salvation. Amen. So let's go back. In the Bible, there's this law of first reference. If you want to know about something, find out when it was first re referenced in the Bible. So we've already kind of gone through this twice, but we're going to run it by again. Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4. I've given you that text, the sound of the wind, the tongues of fire, speaking in other tongues, Verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Now, we know that when the Holy Ghost was first received, that they spoke with other tongues. Some people say, well, that was just for that time. Other people say, well, it was only given so they could preach to other people on the day of Pentecost who had gathered from other lands. Well, we know that is not true, that many people were at least bilingual, and on that day, after the Holy Ghost was poured out, and people heard these Galilean believers speaking in tongues, that the apostle Peter stood up, he preached a sermon in one language, everybody understood, and over 3,000 responded and were saved and added to the church that day. Speaking in tongues was not used to spread the gospel on the day of Pentecost. 
It was not unintelligible speaking. Sometimes you'll hear the word glossolalia. I don't like that word because sometimes it's used as not what speaking in tongues really is. Speaking in tongues happens when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It is a universal initial sign of receiving the Spirit. And then it happens many, many other times, maybe every day for many people, which is a wonderful thing. Now, they're speaking in tongues. Obviously, they're spilling out of the upper room. There's thousands of people there. This is noised abroad. News is spreading fast. And people come. I mean, there have to be thousands of people that are coming. Verse 7. They were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? They're Jews from the province of Galilee. So they're now asking, how hear we every man in our own, own tongue wherein we were born? We're hearing these Jews speak in our languages, and they never learned them. There are 18 different people groups that are now listed in Acts chapter 2. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, Cyrene, strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes. And then verse 11, if you'll look at this with me, the last two named, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them, these Galilean Jews, speak in our languages, tongues, the wonderful works of God. These people don't know our language, but they're speaking in our language. Between the services, Justin and Teresa, son and daughter-in-law, told us in Bentonville, Arkansas, they had a service, a message in tongues and interpretation. A young girl, Hannah Riddle, gave the tongues. After church, a lady from Russia that had moved to Bentonville went to her and said, you were speaking in perfect Russian. I didn't know you knew Russian. She said, I don't know Russian. It happened on the day of Pentecost, and it can happen anywhere. Languages, real languages, when you speak in tongues. What are they speaking? The wonderful works of God. Verse 12, they were all amazed. I would be amazed, right? Some were in doubt. They were saying, what? does this mean? What in the world is going on? And these people are speaking in languages they never learned, and there are tongues. How is this happening? And they obviously speak a common language, Aramaic, most likely. And others mocking, they said, oh, they're just drunk. I've never been drunk, thank the Lord, but I've seen some drunk people, and I don't think you can learn a new language when you get drunk or high. You might sound like you don't know your language or that you're speaking unintelligibly, but you're certainly not speaking the wonderful works of God, most likely, and you're not speaking in other tongues. This phenomenon of speaking in other tongues has swept the world, and millions and millions of people have experienced it. They're not all Pentecostal, amen, but they're true people who believe in God, and God always keeps his word, amen. This is not our brand of religion. 
I am preaching the Bible to you today, and this gift of the Holy Ghost is for you and your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Amen. Pentecost, it's not an isolated event. It happened just then. The apostle Peter said, this is that that was spoken of by that prophet Joel 700 years ago. He spoke about this, and he said it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. He breaks it down. Old men, young men, sons, daughters, handmaidens, all of these people of all generations are going to receive my spirit. They're going to prophesy. When Peter preaches his sermon on the day of Pentecost, he refers back to Joel when he says, this is that. He quotes what is happening, and he defines the beginning of the last days as the day of Pentecost. Really, the last days, this last dispensation that is the church age that began on the day of Pentecost, we're a part of it right now, and I believe we're living in the last of the last days. Amen. Going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. He won't just be moving on you, but he's going to be in you, not just some prophets and priests and special people, but it's all flesh. Amen. Every person is going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's what's going to bring you in the church. It's going to keep you in the church. It's the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Speaking in tongues is a language you've never learned, but it shouldn't be a foreign thing among us. When we come to worship the Lord, tongues of fire come out of us, rivers of living water, renewing you, strengthening you. The Bible said when you speak in an unknown tongue, you edify yourself. Jude said you keep yourself in the love of God by praying in the Holy Ghost. Amen. This doesn't just happen at a camp meeting or once a Sunday, but it is in you. Amen. Like a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Tongues of fire. Now the Bible gives us a prophecy in Isaiah 28, 11 and 12. Isaiah says, for with stammering lips and another tongue, will he speak to this people? To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is a refreshing, yet they would not hear. Jesus called people to come unto him, amen, and find rest for their souls. Some people use this Isaiah 28 and say this is talking about an invading army that is going to come in speaking foreign languages. Well, there may be some application to that, but I don't think you could possibly say that that was rest that would cause the weary to rest. So Isaiah is not talking about an invading army speaking a foreign language. And then in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul referred back to Isaiah 28. And he said in 1 Corinthians 14, 21, in the law or in the Old Testament, it is written with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet for all that, they would not hear me, saith the Lord. We know that Judaism, the national Israel, rejected the Lord and crucified him. And yet God had promised them the rest and the refreshing of the Holy Ghost. I'm glad that you did not reject the Lord. 
and that you found rest for your soul and refreshing that comes in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now, there are several occurrences of people receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts. If you take the New Testament, you can say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John speak of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, his words and works until the time he ascends up into heaven. The book of Acts is a sequel to the book of Luke. It is written by the same man. There's some overlap. Jesus ascends in Acts chapter 1. He tells him to go back to Jerusalem and tarry there until the Holy Ghost comes. So in the book of Acts, we have the initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, and they are primarily Jewish people. In Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans have a revival. There is healing, deliverances, there's great joy, they are baptized, but then Peter and John go down to Samaria and lay hands on them, and it seems that it is that that opens the door to the Samaritan people, those half-breeds, we would say, to coming into the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 10, there is a revival among the Gentiles that begins in the household of Cornelius, a Roman soldier, over a hundred men. In Acts chapter 19, there is the outpouring of the Holy Ghost among believers who are following the message of John the Baptist. So you have the Gospels, you have the book of Acts, all these occasions of people receiving the Holy Ghost. Everything written after the book of Acts, those are called epistles or letters written to believers about how to live the Christian life. They are instructional. If you want to find salvation, you go to the book of Acts where the Holy Ghost was given and the church history began. Amen. So, I want to give you this evidence from Acts chapter 10 in the household of Cornelius. It's an amazing story. The first Gentile converts spoke in tongue. There's a man named Cornelius. He's Italian. He fears God. He believes in the Lord, the Jewish God, but he doesn't know a lot. He prays. He gives a lot of money, and the Lord appears to him in a vision and says, your prayers and alms have been heard. But the Lord does not tell him how to be saved. He said, send to Joppa, house of Simon the Tanner. There's a man, Peter, who lodges there. He will come and tell you words, how to be saved. He's going to come preach to you. So Cornelius sends some men from Caesarea to Joppa to go get Simon Peter. In the meantime, Peter, who preached that the Holy Ghost was for all flesh, in Acts chapter 2, doesn't really believe it. So God gives them the same vision three times, unclean animals, and then the Lord tells him, what I have cleansed, do not call common or unclean. While he's having this repeated vision, there's a knock at the door. Cornelius's ambassadors have come. The Lord tells Peter, go with them, doubting nothing. I want you to go to Cornelius's house. So the reluctant apostle goes to Cornelius's house. He listens to them. And he says, as a, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of person. That God loves everybody, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. And this was a big revelation to him. He begins to preach to Cornelius. And something happens during his sermon, Acts chapter 10, verse 44. 
while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. There were no musicians playing. There was no altar call. They were listening to preaching. Their hearts were open. They were ready, and God gave them the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> I love it when God breaks protocol. You can receive the Holy Ghost anytime, anywhere that you meet the conditions of repentance and faith in God. Amen. And they of the circumcision, verse 45, these are the Jews which had believed, were astonished as many as came with Peter. There were six men that joined Peter. They were like witnesses of what was going to happen. Because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. How do you think they knew that these Gentiles had received the gift of the Holy Ghost? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Verse 46 tells us, For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. That's how they knew they had received the gift of the Holy Ghost. They knew that that was the universal sign, initial sign of receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then the apostle Peter says, well... I guess we have to baptize them. Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And it happened. Now when the apostle Peter gets back to Jerusalem, he gets called in before the leaders. And they're saying, okay, we want to get a report of what you've done. You're a Jew. There's a Jewish revival. And now you have broken protocol and gone down and preached to these Gentiles, and we've heard they've received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Tell us what happened. They contended with him, the Bible says. So he goes back in Acts 11, and he rehearses the matter from the beginning, and he tells them in order in Acts 11, 15. Look at this. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. How did it fall on them at the beginning? Well, if you've got a good memory, I just said it a little while ago. They were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak in tongues. And we know it happened at Cornelius' house because those six witnesses testified, and that was the thing, that was the sign that told them they had received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 16, Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord. Remember, believing is important. But you believe and then you're filled. He said, what was I that I could withstand God? Far be it for me to fight against God. This is one of the most exciting passages in the Bible about salvation because God ties the pouring, outpouring of the Holy Ghost from the beginning to the Gentiles, and that's most of us, amen. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And it is in Acts 10 that the door of the gospel was open to us, and we are allowed to come into the kingdom of God. I'm glad the Lord did not call me common or unclean, that he loved me, that he filled me with the Holy Ghost, that I've been baptized in his name. Amen. I want to read Acts 2, 4 again. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. 
and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Amen. Every time you speak in other tongues, it's the Holy Ghost moving on you as the Spirit gives you the utterance. I know sometimes you don't let the Spirit move on you when you get out of the presence of God and, and you do things you shouldn't. And we should all let the fruit of the Spirit develop in our life. But it is the Holy Ghost that came into you in the beginning. It's the Holy Ghost that will keep you. It's the Holy Ghost that's going to rapture you out of this world. It's the Holy Ghost that's going to resurrect your dead body if you're gone when the Lord comes back. It's the power of the Holy Ghost that set us free and saved our soul. Praise God. Praise God. That's what Joel said. Amen. One other text in Acts 19. I mentioned the disciples of John the Baptist. These revidently Jewish men, they're following the teachings of John the Baptist. That's all they know. They believe that Messiah is coming. They've been baptized under repentance. Paul asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, we didn't even know that there was a Holy Ghost or that it was available. John told them it was coming. So we know they had to know it was coming. They didn't know that it was here. This is 25 years into the book of Acts. Some translations say, did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believed? The essence is the same. When you believed on the Lord, it was then that the promise of the Holy Ghost was for you. If you believed, repented, or baptized. But they said, we didn't even know you could receive the Holy Ghost. He asked them how they're baptized. They said, under John's baptism. He clarifies that John's baptism was now obsolete. That now baptism was in the name of Jesus Christ. When they heard this, verse 5, they were all baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then verse 6 on the screens. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, and by the way, for the last two Wednesday nights, I've been teaching on the laying on of hands and praying with people to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost because it's not just our DNA or our history. It is the promise of God. We live in a world that is broken and sinful and away from God. And what they need is what God has given us. Amen. So we want to redouble our efforts and refocus ourselves on the mission to reach lost people. Verse 6 again, and when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about 12, the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. God uses language as the initial sign of the Holy Ghost. Some people want to know why, why. Maybe it's just one of the gifts of the Spirit, like a tongues and interpretation. And that happens in this church. But you've got to have the Spirit before you can have the gifts of the Spirit. You've got to have electricity run to this building before you can have lights and sound and technology. Amen. The reason the gifts of the Spirit operate in Spirit-filled churches is that they have the Spirit. Amen. And then they let the Spirit flow. Paul said, I pray with the Spirit. I pray with the understanding. Some people ask this question. Paul asked it. Do all speak with tongues? And then he said, do all interpret? We understand that Paul was saying, do all have the gift of tongues to give a message in church? Do all have the gift of interpretation to give the interpretation to that tongues? And the answer is no. Not all believers have that gift. 
but it is a use of speaking in tongues, but it is not the initial sign of speaking in tongues. It is an erroneous doctrine that has messed up a lot of people to say that not everybody who receives the Holy Ghost speaks in tongues. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to encourage you and help you that you can speak in tongues, you will speak in tongues, you should speak in tongues. In fact, Paul said, I thank my God, I speak in tongues more than you all. Amen. Amen. I want to read that verse, 1 Corinthians 14, 18. Now in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, those three chapters, Paul breaks down the gifts of the Spirit, ministry, talks about how it works in the body of Christ, and we're all members of that body. Not everyone has the same gifting. In 13, that love chapter, 14, he especially deals with tongues and prophecy and the abuse of that and how it should be used in the church. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 18, I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than you all. Now, if he speaks in tongues more, that means I speak in tongues less. But it doesn't mean I don't speak in tongues at all. But then Paul goes on to say, but when I'm preaching in the church, I'm going to speak a language people can understand. I'm not going to stand up and just speak in tongues so no one understands. I speak in tongues. It's unto God and not unto men. But he said, I thank my God. He did not disparage speaking in tongues. He encouraged it. In verse 4 of that chapter, I mentioned it earlier, that when you speak in an unknown tongue, you edify yourself or you build yourself up. Amen. It's a great Wonderful thing. And some people want to know, why did God choose speaking in tongues? Well, the first reason is he's God. And he's sovereign. And he can do whatever he wants. He could have chose the initial sign of that you wiggle your ears. You hop up and down on one foot. Let your eyes twitch. But God chose speaking in tongues. Now, I think I have some reasoning. Remember the Tower of Babel. He confused languages. And then at Pentecost, he gave languages as a sign of the Spirit. When I was in secular college, just a little bit, my psychology professor said that language is the most complex human behavior. You can study it for yourself. Vocal cords, breath, intonation. It is hard to learn a new language. But when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, God then takes your mind and uses your tongue to speak in a language you never learned. And then we have the writings of James, that little book, epistle in your Bible, that James says nobody can tame the tongue. Everybody said stuff they wish they would not have said. Your tongue gets you in a lot of trouble. James said it's set on fire of hell. He said we can control a ship with the helm, but we cannot control our tongue. But James says, when you speak in tongues, he's not talking about tongues, but when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, God tames your tongue. James 3 and 8. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now God does not just take your tongue and overrule everything. Now they've done neurological studies. I don't want to get into this. I didn't talk about this in the 9 o'clock, that when people speak in tongues, the speech part of your brain seems to be inactive. 
I don't want to try to use that as a biblical proof. But I know this, when you speak in tongues, you are not thinking up the words. You're forming those words, but it is a spirit that is working in your mind. When you're speaking in tongues, you have surrendered yourself to God in that moment so that God can speak to you in a language you never learned. The sign of speaking in tongues. And you can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives you utterance. If you're spirit-filled, you need to be spirit-led. Paul said that you should not be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. There's a lot of people who call themselves Pentecostals, but have not let the Spirit use their life and lead their life and control their life. They speak in tongues, and then they walk out the door, and they do not give God the control of their life. I'm not saying that speaking in tongues is the proof that you're obeying God every day in your life. I'm telling you that it is a universal initial sign of receiving the Holy Ghost. And if you'll surrender your life to God every step of the way, you'll continue to speak in tongues over and over and over as you give your life to the Lord. When Peter preached that famous sermon in the book of Acts, at the end of that sermon, they asked in Acts 2.37, just go to the end of that verse, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then the apostle Peter told them in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So I ask you today, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? If not, it is a promise and it is for you today. Let's bow our heads and pray right now. I would like to ask you that as we pray right now, that you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of every known sin. If you're a believer or you would call yourself a sinner, I would like to ask you to ask God to forgive you of every known sin right now. If you have an addiction in your life that you cannot overcome, you cannot break that addiction, but God can. What you can do is ask God to forgive you for abusing substances that have caused that addiction. If there are things in your life that you cannot conquer, you cannot conquer them alone. God will conquer them in you if you will ask him to forgive you of the sin that has led to that captivity, to that addiction or that bondage. So right now, everyone, everywhere, would you ask the Lord to forgive you? I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would forgive us of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. I ask you, God. Secret sins, Lord, thoughts and attitudes, God, that are not pleasing to you. Pray that you would forgive us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're able, would you stand right now? If you're a believer, spirit-filled believer, would you lift your hands to the Lord? Begin to thank him that he has given us truth to be saved. He is helping us to come into the fullness of New Testament salvation. We're not arrogant or condescending. 
We did not have a corner on the gospel. We're grateful that the Lord saved us. It is amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Dead in my sins, but now I'm alive in God. Would you take a moment to lift your heart, lift your hands, lift your voice. Thank the Lord. From the depth of your soul, thank the Lord.